0: Chelsea Christ. She committed suicide at the age of thirty. And I believe it was back in January thirtieth of this year. One of the things I wanted to touch up on about this was she has suffered what they call unofficially is uh, high function high functioning depression. Now, a lot of people may not understand or know what high functioning depression is, but in many cases it's just basically shortcuted to say A. Hey, you are not going to acknowledge that you're vulnerable and you're not going to want to seek help and that's what that pretty much is it's like you're aware that you have the that you're depressed you're aware of everything that is going on around you but you're not going to do nothing about it You don't want to because you don't want to be that burden or you don't want to be that issue. And you can already tell when you look at her, all you see was smiles after smile after smile after smile after smile. smile. People that suffer from mental health, they're going to be good at covering up the depression. And she was one of them. She was good at actually covering up her mental issues. Putting a smile on her face and being able to just pretend like there's nothing wrong with her. Uh, she did it. You know? She did it. And nobody never knew. And Gail King had recently talked to her, interviewed her and everything. And you could kind of sense that Gail King was actually beating herself up, was like, why could I not see that? Why could I not see that? The problem is when people don't do their proper research, now I'm not saying that Gail didn't do her research or anything like that, but if you actually look deep down inside, the whole situation decides and, what it is that they're feeling at that point, you're not going to know that they're feeling some kind of way or they're actually depressed or anything like that because they're not showing the actual classic size because they're covering up. So it was not meant for Gail King to know that she was depressed. She was hiding that from her. She was hiding from everybody. She was hiding from her family, even her closest confidant, which was her mother her best friend, that she opens up to. They talk all day, every day. Her mother didn't even notice it. That's how good she actually hid her mental illness, her mental health, her depression. And that's why it's more important when people talk about mental health, let's dig deeper, because people are getting good at actually covering up and actually not showing their problems. They're good at it now. and this was a this was very, very sad. She was only 30 years old and it's tough because sitting here and as I'm doing reading and I'm doing research for this it it, it boggles me that, a beautiful young lady and committed suicide for her to have this depression showing off a beautiful smile and everything. Not Even the blink of a second, you would have never knew nothing was wrong with her. And and it kind of hurts a lot of people in the process, and and especially hurting her mother. Believe it or not, it did. It hurt her mother. And that's why it's important that when we bring awareness to our mental health, no matter what it is, it needs to be sucked out. You know, we need to actually sit down and we need to actually understand what it is that our mental health is talking to us about. Their body language, everything that shows that something is going on. Something's going on. So, with her having high functioning uh, depression, it's good to—I mean, it's—it's it's good to know now that there are a lot of things that we can learn from mental health to actually. Feed our well being to understand maybe this is a time for me to get help. Maybe this is a time for her to get help. Maybe this is a time for him to get help. All the way around. All the way around. It's important. It is important. And when she turned 30, You can't really speculate or predict or know why she was depressed, but little things will will shoot at you. In an article, it said that when she turned 30, she had actually had some things that bothered her. You know, she used to be an attorney. She used to be a reporter. I think she was a reporter. And she was a former Miss USA title holder. Those are stressful jobs. Okay? Those are stressful jobs. And one of the things that I felt that actually led to her depression, I'm not saying that this is factual or anything like that, but this is just based off my opinion and based of what I could see like reading between the lines and actually understanding her was pretty much internet trolling. It bothered her. It bothered her a lot. And not only with the internet trolling, she also used whatever platform that she had, she used that platform to support the Black Lives Matter movement. And that could have doubled within that. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that this is 100% accurate. I'm not saying that this was official. Nothing like that. But I am saying that this is my opinion. This is from what I've read. That the internet trollers and probably the platform that she used for Black Lives Matter is what really got to her. Did this actually lead to her depression? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. You know, we may not never know. We may not never know at all. But I just want everybody to keep in mind and think about a lot of things that a lot of people are going through. And the main thing that I want people to do, if you love your loved ones, you take them over and do not take life for granted. You tell them that you love them. Because if you don't, they can be taken away in a matter of a second. That's the message. Alright, so let's continue with the uncomfortable talk. Yeah, I know a lot of people still feel the fact or people talking about black lives or anything like that or being black in the justice system. It's tough. It's hard for a lot of people to understand and support. But one of the most important things that, that black people would just like to have is equal rights, equality understanding, and being treated the same. That's it. I'm going to say this every single time. Uh, Every single time based on the true fact of what black people is requesting. You know, and if you listen to Darren's podcast, in the recent episodes, he talked about what laws that they want to change, what laws they want to bring in. They want to bring in, you know, the fact that, you know, white people can't get uncomfortable talking about white uh, about Black Lives Matter movements and stuff like that. Being black. Oh, yeah. They're trying to bring that live. You talk about it, you can get in some serious trouble. Now, how fair is that? You know? Just sit down and listen to this podcast. Like, none of the stuff that I will say on my podcast or what Darren will say on his podcast, it's not a bluff. It's a straight 100% truth. And it's sad. So let's continue with the uncomfortable talk of being black in the justice system. I'm going to do now juries, juries and jury selection and the death penalty. For the Juries and Jury Selection Though the Supreme Court made it illegal for prosecutors to exclude prospective jurors because of race in the 1986 case of Bassett versus Kentucky, that ruling has largely gone unenforced. The New Yorker reported in 2015 that in approximately 30 years since the ruling, courts have accepted the Flimsiest excuses for striking black jurors and that prosecutors have in turn trained subordinates how to strike black jurors without a traditional rebuke a 2010 report by the equal justice initiative documented cases in which courts upheld prosecutors dismissal of jurors because of allegedly race neutral factors such as affiliation with a historically black college, a son in the interracial marriage, living in a black majority neighborhood, or that a juror shocked and jived. There are no comprehensive nat- national data on the rate at which prosecutors strike black jurors, but there have been quite a few regional studies. A study of criminal cases of nineteen from nineteen eighty three In 1993, found that prosecutors in Philadelphia removed 52% of potential black jurors versus only 23% of non-black jurors. Between 2003 and 2012, prosecutors in Caddo Parish, Louisiana, I believe it's Louisiana, one of the most aggressive death penalty counties in the country, struck 46% of prospective black jurors with preemptory challenges versus 15% of non-blacks. Between 1994 and 2002, Robert, I'm sorry, not Robert, Jefferson Parish prosecuted struck 55% of blacks but just 16% of whites, although blacks make up 23% of the population. 80% of criminal trials had no more than two black jurors in a state where it takes only 10 of 12 jurors' votes to convict. A 2011 study from Michigan State University College of Law found that between 1990 and 2010, state prosecutors struck about 53% of black people eligible for juries in criminal cases versus about 26% of white people. The study's authors concluded that the chance of this occurring in a race-neutral process was less than $1 in $10 Even after adjusting for excuses given by prosecutors that tend to correlate with race, the 2-to-1 discrepancy remained. The state legislators had previously passed a law stating that the death penalty defendants who would demonstrate racial bias in the jury selection could have their sentences changed to life without parole. The legislature later repealed that law. In June 2018, America's Publics and Media's In the Dark podcast did painstaking research on the 26 year career of Mississippi District Attorney Doug Evans and found that over the course of his career, Evans's office struck 50% of prospective black jurors versus 11% of whites. As of 2018, in the 32 years since Baston, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which includes Mississippi, Texas, and Louisiana, has upheld Batson challenge only twice. That is out of hundreds of challenges. A survey of seven death penalty cases in Columbus, Georgia, going back to the 1970s, found that prosecutors struck 41 of 44 prospective black jurors. Six of the seven trials featured all white juries. In a 2010 study, mock jurors were given the same evidence of a fictional robbery case, but then shown alternate security camera footage depicting either a light-skinned or dark-skinned suspect Jurors were more likely to evaluate ambiguous race-neutral evidence against the dark-skinned suspect as incriminating and more likely to find the dark-skinned suspect guilty. Let me read that one more time. In a 2010 study, mock jurors were given the same evidence from a fictional robbery case, but then shown alternate security footage depicting either a light-skinned or dark-skinned suspect. Jurors were more likely to evaluate ambiguous, race neutral evidence against the dark skinned suspect as incriminating and more likely to find the dark skinned suspect guilty. Mm. I'm just going to say this. I still think about Troy Davis. I'm leaving it right there. I still think about Troy Davis. And if y'all want to know who Troy Davis is, look him up. Type it in the Google search. Troy Davis. T-R-O-Y. Troy Davis. D-A-V-I-S. Troy Davis. The death penalty. Prosecutors on aggregate don't seem to seek the death penalty for more black people than white people, though there are definitely some gaping disparities in a few states and in some counties. Instead, the real, bi- the real racial bias when it comes to the death penalty pertains to the race of the victim. Killers of the black people rarely get death sentences. White killers of black people get death sentences even less frequently. And far and away, the type of murder most likely to bring a death sentence is a black man who kills a white woman. While white people make up less than half of the country's murders victims, a 2003 study by Amnesty International found that 80% of the people on death row in the United States killed a white person. A 2012 study of Harris County, Texas cases found that people who killed white victims were two point five point more likely to be sentenced to the death penalty than other killers. In Delaware, according to a 2012 study, black defenders who killed white victims are seven times as likely to receive the death penalty as are black defenders who killed black victims. Moreover, black defenders who killed white victims are more than three times as likely to be sentenced to death as are white defendants who kill white victims. A review of homicide cases in Missouri between 1997 and 2001 found that both geography and race are important factors in whether a defendant receives the death penalty. Black defendants in the large urban areas of the St. Louis and Kansas City were less likely to get the death penalty, likely because of the higher rate of black jurors in jury pools. This also meant that white defendants accused of killing white people were more likely to be sentenced to death than black defendants accused of killing black people. A study of death penalty rates of black perpetrators slash white victims versus white perpetrators slash black victims through 1999 shows similar discrepancies. Interestingly. The study found that blacks are underrepresented on death row in proportions to the proportion of murders they commit. But this is largely because most black murders kill other black people. And prosecutors are far less likely to seek the death penalty when the victim is black. A study of North Carolina murder cases from 1980 to 2007 found that murderers who kill white people are three times more likely to get the death penalty than murderers who kill black people. A 2000 study commissioned by then-Florida Governor Jeb Bush, a Republican, found that the state had, as of that time, never executed a white person for killing a black person. A 2004 study of Illinois, Georgia, Maryland, and Florida estimated that one-quarter to one-third of death sentences, sentenced defendants with white victims would have avoided the death penalty if their victims had been black. According to a 2002 study commissioned by then-Governor Frank O'Bannon, Democrat of Indiana, had executed only one person for killing a non-white victim And through, oh, and though 47% of homicides in the state involved non white victims, which just 16% of the state's death sentences did. Studies in Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, Utah, and the federal criminal justice system produced similar results. A 2014 study looking at 33 years of data found that after adjusting for variables such let me say it again. A, 24, a 2014 study looking at 33 years of data found that after adjusting for, for variables such as the number of victims and brutality of the crimes, jurors in the Washington, Washington state were 4.5 times more likely to impose the death penalty on black defendants accused of aggravated murder than on white ones. Black people were also more likely to be wrongly convicted of murder when the victim was white only about 15% of people killed by black people were white but 31% of black exonerees were wrongly convicted of killing white people more generally black people were black people convicted of murder are 50% more likely to be innocent than white people convicted of murder Innocent black people are also 3.5 times more likely than white people to be wrongly convicted of sexual assault and 12 times more likely to be wrongly convicted of drug crimes. And remember, data on wrongful convictions are limited and that can only consider the wrongful convictions we know about. A 2000 study of federal cases that found federal prosecutors were about 50% more likely to offer a plea bargain to white murder suspects than black suspects that allowed them to avoid the death penalty. In Houston County, Alabama, prosecutors struck 80% of black people from juries in death penalty cases. In Tennessee, blacks made up 17% of the population but 44% of death row. Between 2007 and 2017, eight of the nine death sentences handed down in the state were to black defendants. A 2006 Stanford report found that when a black person was accused of killing a white person, defendants with darker skin and more stereotypically black futures were twice as likely to receive a death sentence. When the victim was black, there was almost no difference. A 2016 study found that in Louisiana, killers of white victims were 14 times more likely to be executed than killers of black victims. Black men who killed white women were 30 times more likely to get the death penalty than black men who killed black men. Those convicted of killing white people were also less likely to have their sentences overturned on appeal. And Louisiana hasn't executed a white person for killing a black person since 1752. 1752? (sighs) Studies in other states have produced similar results. In Oklahoma, killers of white women were 9.5 times more likely to get the death penalty than killers of minority men. In Ohio, they were 6 times more likely, and in Florida, 6.5 times more likely. As Juries in the Jury Selection and the Death penalty. That's why I say, I think about Troy Davis a lot. We're going to get to him at some point. We are going to get to him. We're going to talk about Troy Davis too. But other than that, welcome to another edition of Breaking With the Health with Daryl. I am your host, Daryl Watts. Thank you for tuning in with me. You could be listening to any other mental health podcast out there, but you're taking the time and you're actually listening to me. And I very well appreciate that. I very well appreciate that. So today, work burnout. You don't want to miss this one. So stay tuned as I talk about work burnout. I'll be right back. What's happening fam? What's happening? How's everybody doing? Everybody alive? Everybody well? Once again, this is Breaking Mental Health with Daryl. I am Daryl. Welcome, 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 welcome. <sighs> I think everybody's ready to get their hands dirty when we talk about work burnout because I think work burnout is very underrated when it comes to your mental health other than dealing with family marriage and um, finances work burnout or burnout itself regardless if it's just burnout or work burnout is right up there on the list. That's just in my personal opinion. It's not an official thing. It's just in my personal opinion. So. Before I actually do get into. The work burnout. Um, I'm going to share some quick material. From entrepreneurship and mental health. Really really quick. It's not going to take much. Just a little bit couple of pieces of information about um what you could do to help with your mental health and what also you can do to um at least help other people as well like you can take the information and actually just pass it along to anybody else So let's take a look at this real quick. So when we're looking at, you know, people owning their own business and being entrepreneurs, one of the things that's important that as entrepreneurs, one of the things that they want to see is joy. They want to be able to enjoy all aspects of being an entrepreneur, but there's a lot of things that breaks and interferes with with that whole joy and you have to take a lot of losses in order for you to win and that is the hardest part of being an entrepreneur especially if you're in retail or if you're doing things on your own whatever it is that you're doing you have to take a lot of losses in order to win and, and at that point, a lot of people won't understand that because they're too busy focused on the money aspect. Now, if you're actually sitting down and you're doing something that you love, but you're focused on money, believe it or not, you're not passionate about your business. Me and Darren love sports, okay? And we have done podcasts, Double Take Sports Talk, as our sports podcast. And we're very passionate about what we do with our podcast. But the minute that we actually turn around, if we actually focus the whole ordeal on money, then we're not really passionate about sports. We're not really that passionate. Because we're so busy about trying to find ways to make money rather than focusing on the foundation. The crust of the podcast. Now we've been doing this for six years, I believe. Actually, it's been almost seven years. In about a week, yeah, next week, it'll be seven years since we've done since we've done our uh, Double Take Sports Talk podcast. And we still enjoy doing it. Do we get burned out? Yeah, baby. But there were times that we actually had to sit back and just take a break because it got frustrating. But we built it right back up. And now that we're actually continuing on the basis that we're doing on a weekly basis, we tried everything. We tried doing it every day, we tried doing it twice a week, we tried doing it three days out of the week. We tried doing it every week and now we have actually been consistent with every week. That's a lot of things that we have done. But at the same time, if we actually took our focuses and focused it on money, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And that's what a lot of entrepreneurs have to sit down and understand. When you're looking at the aspect of trying to make money... You have to be passionate about something that you're not even going to be worried about the money. That you're going to be able to last because you're working for free at that point. Everything that you do, you're working for free. Everything. And, 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 and trust me, it's it's never fun working for free. But trust me, I don't mind working for free when it comes down to my own business as long as that I am able to sit down and take time to get my business going so let's take a look at uh, some of the things that you could do to help yourself to um to help yourself with uh, mental health as entrepreneurs um Believe it or not, when you're an entrepreneur, you do suffer from mental health, as of anxiety, depressions, um, and many other things. That panic attacks is another one. You you could actually suffer from these as entrepreneurs because your your mind is doing so many things at once, and it's all it's always going to be like that as entrepreneurs. You're doing a lot of things, and Entrepreneurs are not going to take the time to focus on their mental health. That's why it's time for entrepreneurs to actually step up and talk about their mental health and discuss this with other future entrepreneurs so they can prepare themselves for that action. For that action. So... Getting involved in your community talking to your friends and talking to your family about your mental health issues can come a long way if you find those words that you can trust. They'll listen. Trust me. They'll listen. Because if they respect and admire what you're doing as an entrepreneur and they see the difference that you make in the community they will respect you they will listen to you if you're struggling they will listen they may not be able to you know give you the advice that you need but the actual healing of them listening And them hearing you is something that you cannot break whatsoever. You just can't break that. But they're there for you. They'll listen to you. A daily practice. Daily practice. Try doing something. Try doing it every day. Whether that's exercising, journaling, physical strength exercise, breath work, anything. Let's just do it every day. And see where your body, how your body reacts to it. You get good feelings about it. Then you know that could be your answer. Just doing something every day keeping your mind off of entrepreneurship and something else and then as you get it back to your business just try it see what happens coaches healers and therapists this is the popular one this is always the popular one you're getting yourself a therapy a therapist and they can help you pinpoint your issues into probably why you're uh, depressed or Why you're suffering too many anxieties or why your panic attacks are really hitting stronger than what it was in the beginning. Anything that you mentioned, they can actually help you break down your problems. And they can actually help you with different exercises to get you to that point. It can get you to the healing process to where you could be able to focus a lot better you could be able to do different things and different exercises but it's always an amazing feeling being an entrepreneur is always joyous and it's always a very good step because you're you're building your creativity and you're building your own wisdom that's how i always looked at Entrepreneurship. I've always looked at that as building your own creativity and building your own wisdom. Because you're finding ways to help out the community. Always get your therapist involved. If you have one, always get them involved. If you got people to listen to you, always get them involved. But they always have to be positive, never negative. Because if you got them, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Because they're not helping you. They never will help you. All they're going to do is try to drag you down with them. And that is never a good thing. You always got to keep your positive people. Always keep them. It's important. It is always important to keep positive people in your life. That's even with your personal life. That's in your personal life. Entrepreneurship too. You keep them. Because they're your number one supporters. They are always going to be there for you. Regardless. So, increase outsourcing in business. I found this one interesting because um, there's a lot of responsibility when it comes to, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to entrepreneurship. Because you're doing one thing to another. Your customer service, your cashier, your um your online uh, confidant. You're responding to messages, emails. You're everything. And that's a lot of work. So, if you have other businesses that you're outsourcing that can help you through this process, use them. Use them. Because your mental health at some point is going to be able to get you help not only with what you're suffering with but with your business within yourself with outsourcing get back on top of your game right it's that simple let me not say that it's that simple to try to get help we may seem like in our minds mentally it's not but it is the hard part is going through the whole process yourself beating yourself up suffering and coming out with a bad result that's the hardest That's going to be the hardest. Regardless. And the last thing. And the most important one. When nobody's around. When you have absolutely no support. None of that. Self-acceptance. Learn. To. Accept. Accept. When nobody is around. Prepare yourself. Don't put yourself through the bad moments first in order for you to do self-acceptance because they won't work. You have to prepare yourself to be understanding that people are going to reject you. People are going to say no to you. And people are just going to downright flat out ignore you that's just a harsh reality of entrepreneurship and it, and it affects you mentally then this is when you start suffering you know the depression, the anxiety the, pan, uh, the panic attacks that's when it starts to hit you learn to accept first that when nobody's around you're going to have to learn to find ways to do things and being able to accept that fact that nobody's helping Right? You know, it's one of those things, right? It's one of those things that a lot of us will have to deal with when it comes to understanding our mental health. Because that comes first. That comes first. Uh, Bree Sealy, a Forest Council member, uh, did this... uh, she did this uh, article and I pinpointed some things out that you could do to help and she shares a story on there on how she suffered from depression and stuff like that so just keep that in mind Um, that your mental health do come first when it comes down to your entrepreneurship and building your business and knowing that it do come first work Burnouts. (laughs) So, a lot of people may not realize that they're suffering from work burnout. They could just say they're stressed out, they're doing too much, and they need a break. Oof. Excuse me, y'all. Um, let's, let's, let's dig in to work burnout. So burnout is more than just feeling tired at work. It's an emotional, mental, and physical reaction to constant stress. When work demands constantly pile up, it takes a toll on you. You might start to feel unappreciated, unappreciated and overworked. A burnout is a thief of energy and productivity. It can be spread into your personal life. You might come home feeling like completely drained and dread the next day. You may f- you feel you have nothing more to give, or you simply just stop caring. Been through all that. I've been through a lot of that because <laughs> when I got to a point and stopped caring, one of the things that hit me. When I knew I had stopped caring and I was starting to suffer from work burnout was I did start coming home feeling tired, completely drained out. That's all I did. I came home and I sleep and I barely get anything done or barely anything prepared. And sometimes it's mostly on the Wednesday. I feel like that the most. And that's the days of my busiest days when I have to prepare for my podcast for Double Take Sports Talk. That's what I feel the drain is the most And I stopped caring Because I showed up for late Showed up for work Late That was my sign right there I knew I stopped caring But then at some point I had to kind of straighten myself up And actually Understand that You have to find yourself reasons To Positive reasons why you know you're doing this and a lot of people do it for the sake of their kids me too me too I do it for my daughter Leah and I do it for her mom because you know they need support you know they're gonna need support they're gonna need the backbone, you know. And Aaliyah, she's she's one. You know, you want to be able to pave a way for busy people like myself, Darren, Mom, Nicole, anybody. It's it's one of those important things. It's important that the impact of our work burnout don't really affect you because of how you be at the end. You ain't going to go by and end up your job and now you're going to do a sit around and then after that it's like, what the hell? And then you have nothing to fall back on. So, there are many effects that work burnout can have on your mental health. So people suffer from work burnout. Can be at risk Four Anxiety, depression, distress, poor decision making, shortened attention span, lack of motivation, negative or cynical outlook on life What causes work burnout? Every situation is different and work burnout can be caused by one thing or a combination of reasons. The main reasons for work are a high workload and a lack of appreciation. Other things can lead to it include lack of control in the workplace, lack of social support, skills that aren't in line with your role, lack of fairness, and not being recognized forever. Stress versus Work Burnout This is a must listen. Work, burnout, and stress may often be confused for one another, but there is a difference between the two. You could get work burnout from stress that never seems to let up, but stress is its own ballgame. Stress is characterized by feelings of too much. With stress, you might think you could get things under control if you worked a little harder. When you're burned out, you'll feel as though it's never enough. You might start start to feel hopeless or lack of all emotion. Burnout is the result of prolonged stress, and you might not realize it as it sneaks up on you. The symptoms of work burnout. Work burnout can affect every part of your health. And if you feel, if you feel it for a long period of time, it can trickle to other parts of your life and the feeling of hopelessness can set in. It's important to recognize the sign of burnout before this happens. You might have work burnout if every day is a bad day. You feel like nothing you do is appreciated. You can't get a good night's sleep. You have trouble telling one day for the next. You feel unconnected from your work You don't take an interest in your work anymore. Your efficiency and performance is dropping. You feel exhausted all the time. You use drugs and alcohol as a way to get through the day. And you find it hard to concentrate. Changes you can make. If you think you're suffering from work burnout, there are steps that you can take to improve your mindset and the situation. And I think all of these are important. And before I even continue with that, uh, with that part, uh, Dan Brennan, Dan Brennan, uh, he's an MD. He uh, did this article on October twenty fifth of twenty twenty one. He pointed out some good stuff here, so I want—I'm uh, just going to share it all with you because I think it's important. Cut down on contact with negative people. Negative people can spread their energy to you and bring down your mood. Stay away from them as much as you can. Reach out to people close to you. Talking to your partner or family about how you feel at work can be helpful. Don't assume you're burning others. Burdening others. Most people will feel flattered that you trust them. Socialize with coworkers. Interacting with the people you spend the workday with can help ease the grind. Try to strike up a conversation in the break room instead of checking your phone. Make new friends. Meeting new people can take your mind off work and will expand your social circle. Take time off. Sometimes all we need is some time off. Use vacation days, sick days, or a temporary leave of absence. Refocus and figure out where you need to make changes. Try to find value in your work. Try to see value in the work that you do. Maybe it's a necessary role that helps people or that requires a certain skill level. Focus on the parts that you can enjoy. Set boundaries. Boundaries are important in every area of life. Saying no to some tasks can help you regain a sense of control. Make time to relax. Try yoga. Meditation or practice mindfulness. Get creative, try a new hobby or pick up an old one. Paint, draw, or make crafts. Creativity is a powerful force against work burnout. So how to stop work burnout? Once you've figured out how to deal with your work burnout, you don't want to go back to the old way of doing things. Take these steps to protect your mental health and set up boundaries with your work. Practice self-care. Self-care isn't only about spa days. It's taking care of yourself first, eating, oh, sorry, through eating right, exercising, and setting boundaries. Pace yourself. Decide what needs to be done first and give yourself permission to take breaks when you need them. Get off your phone. I think this is the most important one right here. Get off your phone. Our devices can make us hunch over and keep to ourselves throughout the day. Set a special wrinkle for important calls And try to talk to others Throughout the day Not for that reason Me To get off my phone Is just literally shut it off Turn it off And just don't be bothered with nothing That's just me I would love to just turn off my phone Not talk to nobody Literally Not talk to nobody Come home, sit in my room Do my work, watch TV, play the game. That would mean the world to me. I know a lot of people think differently. But (laughs) that's me. You know, I'm, I'm not all about talking on the phone, texting or none of that. I'm not all about that. I'd rather have my phone off. And I would just rather focus on the important things on have. And the last one, be you. Taking on a different personality at work can take a toll on you. So be yourself. So. They have five stages of workout, work burnout. And it was interesting. I had to read this and I had to get to the root cause of it. So, here are the five stages of burnout. So here's here's the deal. Within these five stages, they go from light, well they go from they go from okay to worse, being the lowest from one, the five being the highest, you know, like get help. It's chronic, you know. So the first stage is the honeymoon phase. This is referred to as that it is particularly relevant to a new job roles or undertaking new work tasks and initiative. At this stage, there are absolutely no signs of burnout. Instead, you are full of enthusiasm, commitment, and joy for your work. You are, you are very productive and take on every possible task and opportunity to perform your best. You feel creative, optimistic, and full of energy and to improve your skills. You may take more onto your shoulders than you should. So this stage is a wonderful is wonderful, and to stay here forever will be ideal. But be careful when you're on this stage. The risky aspect of the honeymoon phase is if you don't prevent overworking and adopt strategies to wind down and get rest regularly, this may progress into the next stage before you know it, which is onset of stress. You progress through the next stage when you gradually start noticing that some days are more stressful than others. You lack time for personal needs and you start seeing your family and friends less. Your job might become the most important thing in your life. Some early signs of stress may start bothering you, manifesting an inability to focus, headaches, anxiety, change in appetite, and even high blood pressure, to name a few. If you happen to ignore that you're going to hit stage 3 Chronic Stress Freaking experience of high stress levels bring you bring you into the stage of chronic stress As a result, your problem solving skills and performance decrease further and at this point, you start feeling you're out of control and powerless. Your efforts do not seem Did I just miss a whole page? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Your efforts do not seem achievements when you can build up a sense of incompetence and failure. Chronic stress takes a toll on your mental and physical health and further intensifies the symptoms described in stage two. You now may find yourself getting more or getting ill more infrequently. Additionally, you may not seem to regulate your emotions that well anymore even though i'm sorry even small things make you aggressive resentful and sad you may deny the problems and distance yourself from colleagues and social life in extreme cases to escape the negative emotions some people may even start to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs the fourth stage burnout this uh pretty much obvious right here is the burnout this, this stage is burnout itself. Not addressing the previous stages of systems properly can result in critical exhaustion levels that will make it hard to cope with work demands. The continuous sense of failure and powerlessness eventually leads to the feeling of despair and disillusionment. You don't see a way out of the circumstances to become indifferent towards your work. Physical systems may add on and further intensify. A part of being constantly fatigued, having digestive ongoing digestive problems, chronic headaches, you may also experience behavioral changes. The developed sense of self-doubt and pessimistic outlook on your job in life can be pronounced at this stage. The last stage, stage five, habitual burnout. This is when you don't manage to recover from burnout. In a state and the symptoms become a part of your life attempts to bring yourself back to normal is just, is more challenging than it has ever been apart from affecting your career it may reflect in many aspects of your life including personal relationships you can lose joy in your hobbies that you once loved and you may you may not feel like doing anything you may always feel sad and depressed. at this point you may need outside help to overcome the burnout systems and turn on the recovery path break it down let's review this so the stage one is the honeymoon phase which is job satisfaction accepting responsibility sustained energy levels unbridled optimism commitment to the job compulsion to prove oneself free flow and creativity, high productivity levels. You want to stay in that stage one. You want to stay in stage one. Because you're never going to get past stage two, three, four, and five. You never want to get to that point. So with stage two, with the onset of stress, CV systems, inability to focus, irritability, Reduced sleep quality, lack of social interaction, lower productivity, anxiety, avoidance of decision making, change in appetite, fatigue, headache, and neglect of personal needs. Stage three: persistent tired or con- chronic stress, persistent tiredness, procrastination, resentfulness, social withdrawal, aggressive behavior, apathy, uh, chronic exhaustion, cynical attitude, decreased sexual desire denial of problems, feeling threatened, feeling pressured with alcohol and drug consumption. Stage 4. Burnout, obsession with problems, pessimistic outlook, physical systems, self-doubt, self-social isolation, chronic headaches, chronic GI problems, neglect of personal needs, escapist activities, and behavioral changes and stage five with the habitual burnout chronic sadness chronic mental fatigue chronic f- physical fatigue and depression so recent study have found that average worker may experience burnout by as early as 32 years of age and The most common employee responses to why they burn out are working long hours, which is 58%, and taking too many tasks, which is 52%. Some other factors include feeling the responsibility to be constantly on while at work, which is 47%, and not taking enough days off is 39%. So let's take a look at the external factors and internal factors of the burnouts. So with external factors, you have a high demands at work, problems of leadership and collaboration, contradictory instructions, time pressure, bad atmosphere at work slash bullying, lack of freedom to make decisions, lack of organizational influence, few opportunities to participate, hierarchy problems, poor internal communication, administrative constraints, pressure from superiors. Increasing responsibility, poor work organization, lack of resources, which is personal personnel or funding, problematic institutional rules and structures, lack of perceived opportunities for promotion, lack of clarity about roles, lack of positive feedback, poor teamwork, absence of social support. The internal factors, high idealistic self-expectation, perfectionism strong need for recognition always wanting to please other people suppressing own needs feeling irreplaceable Overestimation. overestimation to deal with challenges work as only meaningful activity work as substitute for social life so here's the conclusion to this whole thing for employees, the ideal case scenario would be to stay within the honeymoon stage or being able to return, it, return to it quickly. If you have a minor symptoms or only a few small adjustments in your everyday life may be enough to alleviate the symptoms will be enough to alleviate the symptoms. For example, you need to set a better personal boundaries and be more realistic about workload, about the workload you're taking on. It is essential to plan your work to leave the workplace before you are completely exhausted at the end of the day. You should have quality personal time that will be enough for recharging, doing what you love to do, and seeing the loved ones. Hopefully, we could do more of the latter soon. If you experience intense physical and mental symptoms of burnout, seeing a healthcare professional will help t- to differentiate these from underlying conditions that might have an impact on your health. Employers sh- should promote well-being of their employees by creating a space of culture where employees feel supported, feel in control, and have fair opportunities to grow. Having accurate offers resources and providing, social, I'm sorry, providing solutions for work-life balance, e.g. flexible work schedule, may significantly impact someone's life. It is extremely well proven that overall rewards and positive work comes for preventing burnout easily outweigh the costs. That's important. It is really important to focus on the burnouts, as I just read. You know, I I say this when I have at my job I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in in the job itself I had absolutely no interest because there was a lot of people that were bullies trying to be alpha and then you had some that really just messed up the job You really couldn't get nothing from it because of the way they did things. Now that they're gone, it's a lot better, but the work burnout is still there because when the old toxics was there, you know, it was more focusing on just when you're ready to go, when you're ready to get out of here. It's nothing, has nothing to do with the job, has nothing to do with anything. You're just ready to go. And I almost quit that job I almost quit The current job I'm at now I almost quit Because As As I started to learn After they left There was a lot of things That I had learned To the reason why Everything was so messed up Everything and it's it, it including myself just to include myself too a lot of things that was messed up people was taking things out of different locations that didn't even belong to them that belonged to other customers and then when you go and look for it for that location that they took it out of it's not there why? because they took it but I fell like in realized that it was customer owned why? stupid Not smart. Then you got people that want to transfer things to different locations, but don't even bother to do it in the system. Why? Did you forget? Of course you did. You're not thinking. What the hell? What in the holy hell? You know what I'm saying? What? What? You know, and that would really, it really got to me at that point. That wasn't even a point of burnout. That was just straight up stress right there. That was straight up stress. But after they left, that's when things started to get a work burnout for me. You know, because right after they left, I, I took over that role and I had to take over it fast because I was the only one. I was the only one. I had to learn a job that was full time and I had to learn it quick you know and that's when things started getting very frustrating it got frustrating and so that's when last year I had took vacation you know I haven't took one since you know and that's why it's important. That's why people preach to y'all. Look, this is this is the deal. This is the ordeal. You have to take care of yourself. You have to be able to take care of yourself. That work-life balance, you have to really plug that in. Don't let your work life overlook the personal life. That's where a lot of problems comes in, especially if you're married. If you're single, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter you'll be more worried about a social life rather than you would be just being single and the social life is those ones that actually are the positive ones that support you in everything that you do it really wouldn't matter they know that you're busy go do your thing you know go do your thing and that's and it's important that people look at their situation and it'll be like oh yeah I understand I understand but when you're burned out when you're burned out you can lose control easily so you want to be able to find reasons like I said my reason is Aaliyah and her mom that is the reason for me gotta keep it moving I got a family to support rather if I want to claim it or not I have to support you know and I think that's very important to finding reason. You're trying to find reason. And this is why I'm doing this podcast too. I got laptops everywhere, extra monitors, paperwork everywhere. And then it's the middle of the It is nighttime. Get ready to hit the early morning hours. It is 10 minutes till 12. 10 minutes to midnight. And I'm still going to work doing this podcast. Do I get burned out on this podcast? Hell to the no. My main job is the main reason I have work burnout. So ask yourself, just ask yourself, have you become clinical or critical at work? Do you drag yourself to work and have trouble getting started? Have you become irritable or impatient with coworkers, customers, or clients? Do you lack the energy to be consistently productive? Do you find it hard to concentrate? Do you lack satisfaction from your achievements? Do you feel disillusioned about your job? Are you using food, drugs, or alcohol to feel better to or to simply not feel? Have your sleep habits changed? Are you troubled by unexplained headaches, stomach or bowel problems, or other physical complaints? If you said yes to these, you may be subject to work burnout. Believe it or not, it's it's the reality. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. A lot of people don't like to hear certain truths about some things. But this is one of them. And this is a straight truth. It's a reality. You have to wake up and know that every excuse that you have, it ain't going to cut when you're trying to take care of your mental health. If people say, hey, slow down, man. Take some time off, man. You deserve some time off. No, man. I don't want to get behind or, uh, you know, I just don't feel like this is the time to do it. Yeah. Excuses. Take your time off. You just take your time off. It's very important that you look after your it's very important you look after yourself. Cause one of the main things I do when I started suffering from work burnout. I literally started working more on the podcast. I did. This is before I started this podcast though. I'm talking about double tech sports though. I did a lot, lot more on that uh, uh working on the podcast than I did that job this is not weekends only this is from a previous job the stupidest job I ever took up on but that's what I did I, I turned my focuses on a lot of things and that helped me for that process it helped me you know because the feeling of satisfaction you can only ask yourself if you're feeling good are you satisfied you ain't got to hear it from nobody else it's only you it's only you that you can ask yourself from do i feel satisfied oh hell yeah i feel satisfied i'm very satisfied with what i did and i think it's it's one of those ordeals that a lot of people want to hear from You rather want to hear from yourself more than you want to do your bosses Because if you hear a lot more from your bosses It's going to be, oh, you did good But Evidently, if they say But You still ain't doing that good Because they're about to criticize you They're about to criticize you So it would be a matter at that point If you rather take that The criticism seriously Or you do Either way, you gotta find a, you gotta find a point of action. You gotta find a point of action, and that's what and that's what I've done. You know, I have been able to be able to write down my different time schedules because I I do have a lot on my plate. I have a lot. To being able to work. Spend time with Aaliyah. And work. Work on my side hustle. Spend time with Aaliyah. And. Work. My end of the week at the job. Is. On. Sundays. That's my. That is pretty much not my end of the week, but that's like my point to start my weekend. It's on Sundays, so Monday and Tuesday I would get a Now I did started. I did get a on Sundays, but there's a lot of problems that has really lit up that I had to kind of step aside from that. And then once I actually develop that into my mental health and other people, to say the least, I could be able to, I could be able to get back to getting her on Sundays. But now it's just Mondays and Tuesdays. I spend time with her. And that's all that is. And if I have extra time in between Like if she's napping and stuff like that Or she's with mom or she's with dear I can get a little bit done A little bit of my side projects My side hustles done Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays I work And I do my side hustles Both at the same time It's not an easy, balanceable, maintainable thing But I have accepted the fact that I am willing to make some sacrifices and that is going into the nights sacrificing a little bit of sleep and that's what it is i still make up my time for sleeping trust me when i say that i do rather if i have to sleep with it with aaliyah or rather if i nap when i come home from work on wednesdays and thursdays i'll nap then and then i have time to sleep in because I go in later on th- uh, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays But it's just important that you put your mental health first Because work burnout can kill you It will kill you To say the very least You don't want to put yourself into that predicament You want to be able to have a fresh mind And a fresh take On your job Your job side hustles And whatever else, your kids, your your spouse, whoever. You want to be able to do that. You want to be able to have those times. But write that stuff down. Journal everything that you're feeling at that point. And if you feel the need to make a schedule out for yourself, do that. Work eight hours at your job. When you get home, work on your side projects. Shower. Work on your side projects. Don't go and watch TV. Don't go play the game. Let that be your reward. Work on your side shit first. You work on that. You put that stuff first. Because if you don't if you're willing to work 8 hours but you don't but you come home and you don't want to work on anything, at that point you're not tired. You're just unmotivated. Find a way to motivate yourself. That job alone should be the reason why. Because them business people there are filthy rich for a reason. I look at that stuff and I see everything that's going on. I was like, you know what? This could be me too. This absolutely could be me too. I could be anything in the world. But you have to put that belief in yourself. And you cannot let work burnout do that for you. Because it will drag you down. It will drag you down. But, well, folks. That's all I have. I know this is a long one. I appreciate your time. And I appreciate you listening to me. This is just very much important. To pinpoint everything about work burnout that you need to know too besides the other things that I discussed here on this podcast but work burnout I don't want nobody to get to that point like how I did and I almost gave up on life I don't want you to be that next person but thank you for tuning in next week I'm going to go ahead And I'm going to continue material for uncomfortable talks And entrepreneurship and uh, mental health I'm going to continue stuff from that And I am actually going to sit down And talk about suicide I'm going to talk about suicide It's a very touchy subject But it needs to be talked about And I'm going to talk about that next week. But until then, stay true to yourself. And always remember, when it comes to listening, you're one step closer to bringing awareness. Let's go.